0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, Let me invite you now to open your Bible as we turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Uh, You can find that on page 929 and 930 uh, of your Purack Bible. Uh, And also we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 5, And you'll see the page numbers there as well, if you want to skip ahead to that and be ready to go there. Uh, What we have been doing in this kind of short interval time, we concluded our Apostles' Creed series. We've got just a few weeks until the beginning of Advent, if you can believe it. Uh, And so we're taking advantage of of a shorter window of time to do a short series on the church. Last week, we looked at the mission of the church, why the church exists, We were emphasizing in that that the mission of the church is the proclamation of the gospel uh, in all things. So last week was the mission of the church. Next week we're going to be looking at the church and her members. So we're thinking about church membership next week, uh, but here now we're thinking this week about the church and her leaders. So in these three weeks, the mission of the church, the leaders of the church, the members of the church, we're kind of getting this kind of comprehensive but uh, overview of what the church is, what the church does, what it's for, how we belong to it, as a wonderful reminder of these basic elements of the Christian faith. But again, today is leadership. Now, uh, let me just kind of by introduction say that when you use the term leadership, uh, nothing attracts gurus and cultural opinions more than leadership. People swarm to the topic. With all manner of opinions, and oftentimes the opinions of a secular culture influence the church, especially on these key points of strategic initiatives and mission and vision values, et cetera, et cetera. And very marketing driven terminology and marketing driven methodology comes into the church to say, if you want a healthy church, you got to do this, and every business knows it. So you have then all of these things. All these book titles, How to Win Friends, Influence People, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Have Power and Confidence When Dealing with People, and on and on and on. And oftentimes churches think if we want good leaders, we've got to take the resources from the successful marketing strategies and methodologies of the, the business world and bring it into the church, and then we'll really, we'll really win out. We'll be strong, we'll be powerful, we'll be healthy, we'll be vital and if the church has as its mission just the accumulation of numbers, then maybe those would be effective leadership strategies. But if the mission of the church is what we said last week, it is namely the, the proclamation of the gospel, then leadership in the church should be shaped by that mission, and therefore leadership should be shaped by the gospel, not just whatever's going to work, right? not just bare pragmatism. What the church needs to know to be led in a healthy way has already been given to us in the Scriptures. And that's what it means to be a Bible-believing church then, to be led according to the Scriptures. So what does the Bible say about healthy church leadership? That's what we're thinking about today. And to do that, we're again in Acts chapter 20. We will see Paul's address to the Ephesian elders as he gathers up Those that are leading in the church as he departs from them with these departing words to say, as I go, keep this in mind if you're going to continue on in a healthy way. And this chapter in Acts chapter 20 is where we're drawing all three of our, the church and her mission, the church and her leaders, the church and her members, because Paul touches on all of these various things. But today, especially his address to the Ephesian elders. So, let's pray. We'll ask God's blessing upon the scriptures. Lord God, we pray now that as we have opened together your word of life, that you would send your Spirit upon us now, both corporately as your people to descend with blessing upon this gathering, but also individually to send your Spirit upon our hearts and minds individually as well. That you would illuminate for us the teaching of Scripture, its proclamation and application to our hearts, that we might be a more faithful people, a more obedient people, a people more desirous to delight in the headship of Jesus Christ as our King. So come now, Lord, and bless our uh, reading and proclamation of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word. We're going to pick up the context uh, in uh, chapter 20 at verse 17, and uh, we'll be reading through at least verse 30. This is the word of God. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God abides forever. So may he write its truth on our hearts today. Uh, We are focusing especially, you'll see in verses 28 to verse 30, how Paul, in the midst of this address to the Ephesian elders, is speaking on these very topics. Today we're thinking about how it relates to the church and her leaders, again in verses 28, 29, and 30. So we're going to be thinking broadly about this, but we're also going to be thinking very specifically about this as Paul has uh, direct words to these elders. Uh, You also want to be available to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5, because when we get there, we'll see some additional words that Peter has to say on this same topic. But uh, to kind of dive into this notion, let me just kind of give you a bit of a personal reflection here, uh, that in... In the work that uh, that I sometimes do for the presbytery, and the presbytery is the regional court of our uh, authoritative structure of denominationalism. The presbytery is the four states: Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and every EPC church therein. Uh, sometimes I work with a team in the presbytery that goes to churches when they're in times of conflict, and goes to churches when they're in seasons of transition or struggling for one thing or another. Quite frankly, there's usually a mess that is at place and we walk into a mess. And, and doing so, it has been very helpful to me to kind of evaluate um, my ministry and, and my practice and our ministry and our practice as I see other people doing other things. I just want to share some general observations about leadership in the church as we get into what Paul is saying here. But let me say that in every church, regardless of how healthy it is, there will always be leaders There are always leaders in churches. It's not usually very hard, and it doesn't take very long to identify kind of the thought leaders or the power brokers or decision makers in the church, whether they are in public leadership or whether their leadership is a bit shadowy or covered in subterfuge, right? People who lead in the darkness, who have kind of strings on things and pull to get their way, even if they're not involved in public leadership. Uh, I say that churches will always have leaders, and churches will either be a blessing or a curse upon their churches. Because good leaders are a wonderful blessing, and bad leaders are a terrible curse. Uh, That's true of any institution, by the way, but we're thinking especially of the church. The church's health is directly correlated to the health of its leaders, The church's health is directly correlated to the health of its leaders. So we should be asking the question as we draw out from Paul's address to the Ephesian elders, what is a healthy church and its leadership? What should healthy church leadership look like and do, and how should it govern itself and be practiced? Well, to dispel some rumors, to dispel some doubts oftentimes that people have about churches and leaders, we're thinking, by the way, especially about elders and sessions, so we'll use this terminology, um, that elders are not appointed to the office of elder to represent themselves. Elders are not appointed to leadership in the church to represent the congregation, actually. People oftentimes assume that we, we elect elders and we approve them and then they represent the opinions of the congregation. And whatever the majority opinion of the congregation is, that's what the elder should do. Or perhaps if there's a very loud minority of the congregation, they want to have something else done. The session should do what they want. But uh, our church constitution is built around this notion that the elder does not represent the majority opinion, the minority opinion, or their own opinion. The opinion of the elder to represent is the opinion of Jesus. Our Constitution says that it is the first duty of the elder or church leader to represent the mind of Christ. Any church leader that leads, they don't lead for their own sake, or they shouldn't. They lead for the sake of Jesus. Again, we say that there will always be leaders in the church. The question is whether or not those leaders are called and gifted by God to lead the church the way Jesus wants the church to be led. Paul is addressing that here. When Paul leaves the Ephesian elders, he, we find, and especially if you look ahead to verse 36 and following, this very emotional parting, as you can get this sense of just how much this relationship meant to them, Paul had had a ministry among Ephesus for a great deal of time. He had written to them the letter of the Ephesians. uh, is his letter to this same church. Here, as he leaves them, he gives them these parting words, and it's evident that how much they value his instruction, how much they value it. And he is essentially handing off the baton of church leadership to these local elders and saying, As I go... And as you step into leadership, these are the things that you must know. So, to cover kind of generally our basis here to make sure that we're all on the same page of understanding, in the New Testament, churches are always led by elders. And they are always led by a plurality of elders, meaning more than one. These. Individuals are qualified according to particular qualifications given in the pastoral epistles and charged with the responsibility of leading and shepherding the local churches. In the New Testament, you will find the office of apostle, but the generations of apostles die off as Peter and Paul and his generation uh, no longer cease to exist. They hand off the leadership baton to local church elders to see that the ministry of the gospel continues. There are sometimes other terms that the New Testament will use, like bishop or overseer or elder. And all three of those words are speaking about the same office and the same function of local leadership in the local church. Now, just very quickly, there is an additional office that we call the deacon. Paul is not addressing the deacons at Ephesus. Otherwise, we would speak to that. But the deacons are the second office. But it is the local elders that lead local churches. Local elders lead local churches. And how do they do it? Paul is giving here in verse 28 something of an uh, overarching statement of the biblical priorities of church elders. How should you lead the church at Ephesus is what he is saying to the Ephesian elders. And he gives them two things to pay careful attention to. Notice the terminology, he says, pay attention, not just, but carefully pay attention to two things. First of all, he says, pay careful attention to yourself. So before Paul is even talking about what the elder is doing in an outward sense to the congregation as they lead, Paul is addressing how the elder should be reflective of their own self. So he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves said earlier, but elders, to be elders, have qualifications. In the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, Paul gives a list of qualifications and those qualifications are fundamentally based upon character, who you are. There is actually, interestingly, only one skill qualification that is needed to be an elder, All the other lists of qualifications are character-based, who you are. And when Paul says to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves, he's reminding them, don't forget about the qualifications necessary to conduct your office. Don't get so caught up in the outward ministry to others that you forget to be inwardly reflective about the maturity of your soul, the spiritual development of your own self. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Or another way, don't be so caught up leading others that you are not ensuring that you yourself are being led. Sometimes the metaphor is given uh, that in leadership there is a front stage and a backstage. That the front stage is in public, where what you see and the backstage is in private, what people don't see. Paul is saying, to carry the metaphor, don't just be concerned about the front stage. Be mindful about who you really are and your character and who you are in your individual life. Pay careful attention to yourselves, first of all. But he also says, still in verse 28, pay careful attention to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained for His own blood. And that's what we would expect Him to say to give directions to church leaders. But He first says, pay attention to yourself. Then He says, pay attention to what? The flock. And this brings in all sorts of metaphor and picture and things that we can imagine here. Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that what the church fundamentally is, is a flock, a flock of sheep. Right? The church is the flock, the sheep of His pasture. Jesus always employs this metaphor, right, when He calls Himself the Good Shepherd. Uh, We think of this metaphor in, in various ways, being led by the Good Shepherd, Psalm 23, into green pastures to be cared for. Why is it that sheep is always the metaphor that's used to describe the church as the flock of God? There are many things that we could say, valuable perhaps, but what seems to rise to the surface is uh, sheep is always the predominant animal of the flock in the metaphor for the church because sheep are always dependent on their shepherd. Sheep are constantly dependent on their shepherd. Sheep never outgrow their need to receive care. Now, we could say that about many different animals. But in the first century, it's especially the metaphor of the sheep with the shepherd. And the shepherd tasks to oversee the sheep, to feed them, to care for them, to watch out for their needs, to guard them, to protect them, to make sure that they're being led appropriately, to lead them away from danger. And Paul reminds the Ephesians elders that what you're doing in church leadership is you are caring for a flock of sheep that is constantly in need of care. He says to them, pay careful attention to the flock the sheep of Jesus, he says, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He, that is speaking of Jesus, at the end of verse 28, which He obtained with His own blood. So Paul is saying, elders, think about this flock. Think about these sheep. They are in need of care, but they don't belong to you. That's the point of emphasis here. The church of God which Jesus obtained with His own blood. Faithful leaders know that the church doesn't belong to them. Faithful elders know that they are stewards of what is not their property. Faithful elders know that they are caretakers of Jesus' own possession. They are stewards. They are under-shepherds. They are overseers. If you go quickly to 1 Peter 5, you will find this language used very emphatically by Peter as he gives additional direction. Keep your finger in Acts chapter 20, but go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's on page 1016 if you need to flip to it quickly. Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders, elders, you care for the flock. The flock belongs to Jesus. He bought it with his own blood. So likewise, Peter says, as a direction to the elders, 1 Peter 5 verse 1 says, so I exhort the elders among you, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Notice how in verse 4, Peter speaks of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd. And to care for the flock of Jesus, he has appointed under-shepherds. We use this language so that we would, in verse 2, have shepherds, to shepherd the flock of God in an earthly sense, right? Because Jesus has ascended to heaven. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, and He has instituted local leadership in visible churches to exercise His authority through a representative way. And how does Jesus minister? How does Jesus lead? Well. He leads with compassion. He leads with gentleness. He leads with kindness, doesn't he? Those are all the things that connotate the ministry of the good shepherd. So likewise, Peter is instructing the same thing that Paul is instructing, that local leaders, which are called elders, are to be those who are shepherding in the image of Jesus to care for the flock. To exercise oversight. Notice how in this description there is both an inward disposition and an outward disposition. That just like Paul in his address to the Ephesian elders says, first of all, hey, look out for yourself, be mindful of your own heart. He also says, look out for the flock. So does Peter here say, you should be mindful of your inward disposition? In verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering, he is saying, mind your inward disposition. Mind the intention and the motivation of your leadership. Shepherd in the reflection of Jesus, not with compulsion, not with bitterness, not with hostility, but with kindness. The outward disposition, not domineering over those in your charge, not being heavy-handed or mean or harsh, but gentle, not lording it over people's heads to say, do what I say because of who I am, but instead say, go this way because of who Jesus is. I always give this illustration to uh, new, new pastors and I remind myself of it all the time. In the 17th century, a man named John Owen said, there are two ways that pastors will lead. Some pastors or elders will lead by way of their office and they'll say, do what I say because of who I am because I hold this office and I'm important. Do what I say because of who I am. That is leading by way of office but a person who leads by way of office is constantly pointing to themselves. John Owen contrasts the idea of leading by way of office with the leadership by way of unction that says, come this way because of who Jesus is. Don't you see who he is? Don't you see how worthy He is of your obedience? Come this way because of Him. That's the difference of leading by way of office or unction. And Peter is saying, lead by way of unction, not by domineering, not with harshness, but by saying, come this way because of Jesus. So as you go back to Acts chapter 20, I I roll this out. Time and time again, this, this, this reminder from my own life, this illustration that uh, some of my most significant examples uh, have been bad examples. Isn't that true of your life sometimes? That you learn what not to do by seeing people do it? And you say, I don't want to do that. I was under a pastor when I was in seminary who was a harsh man who criticized and critiqued and was mean to his congregation who, with a direct quote, I heard him say what he thought was a private conversation, but I was standing out in the hallway, the door was open, and I wasn't intending to overhear it. He told a lady, this is my church, and you'll do what I say. Uh, and that was a hard thing to hear. And it's always been a lesson to me that this is not the way to lead the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Christ is to be as the shepherd's flock And the chief shepherd has ascended to heaven and instructed the elders to care for these people. Watch over them. Point them in the right direction. Caution them. Pull them back when they're straying too far. When they're creeping up against the ledge, grab them and say, don't go that direction or you'll fall when they're standing too close to the edge. Feed them, love them, care for them, protect them, nourish them. Want what is good for them. So we summarize that the ministry of the elders is to know the flock, and lead the flock, and feed the flock, and protect the flock. Our session has been studying this and trying to grow more into an understanding of it, but when we speak about knowing the sheep, we mean, do we know who our congregation is? Who is it that is underneath the shepherding ministry of the session of Edgington? Who are the members of this church? Do we know them? Secondly, Are we leading them? Where are the sheep being led? How are we leading them to being nourished and being cared for? Do we know them? Do we lead them? Do we feed them? What are they being fed with? What are they being nourished? What are they being provided in terms of spiritual food to satisfy them and help them to grow? Know the sheep. Lead the sheep. Feed the sheep. And protect the sheep, which sometimes involves bringing them back from things that threaten to harm them. Where do sheep need to be protected from dangers that they don't perceive? That they think, I'll just keep going this way and it'll be a delight when the shepherd knows that at the end of that path is pain or destruction. Calvin likewise says that a faithful elder needs two voices, like either end of the shepherd's staff. One end of the staff gathers the sheep, the other end of the staff... Attacks the wolves. So likewise, the elder has to have two voices one to speak tenderly to the sheep, and one to speak harshly to the wolves. Notice what Paul says. Verse 29, Acts 20, verse 29, he says, When I leave, there will be those who come in. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And the threat is, even in verse 30, that some of them will come in from among yourselves. They will be of your own people who want to not spare the flock, who want to devour the flock, who want to lead them away, who want to draw people away from Jesus, draw people to their own little kingdoms or their own little methodologies or whatever. And Paul is saying to the elders, stand guard, don't let it happen on your watch. Have a voice to care for the sheep. Have a voice to direct to the wolves. To say, not here. Not here. So Paul is saying, this is the ministry of the elders to shepherd the flock of God. The biblical priorities for healthy leadership. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to the flock. Let me get very practical, as I hope that this is very practical, and, and, and ask the question, like, what does this look like at Edgington? What does this look like at Edgington? And I'll I'll say to you that this is something that our session has been focusing on and looking to grow into and develop more and more and more. And uh, it's to the point now where you as a congregation need to know more about what we're talking about. Here at Edgington, our session is organized uh, with the intent to be a shepherding session so that you as a church member can be cared for. What does that look like? Well, it looks like very simply... If you're a member of this church, you've been assigned to a particular elder. And that elder has a roster, and you're on it. You and your family, your children, your grandchildren, you are individually cared for by a particular elder where they are tasked specific- specifically to care for you by way of oversight, and the primary care that they extend for you is prayer. And if you're a member of this church, you are prayed for by name, specifically, every single year in great detail as we go through the entire membership roster month to month, individual by individual so that everybody is covered. Where the elders pray for you really as their first order of business. Our first order of business isn't agendas and dockets and budgets and decisions and these things. It's prayer and care and shepherding. Not that those things don't matter. They're just not our first priority. In so doing, having this shepherding relationship between an elder and a member, we're hoping to establish a relationship that you have with your elder so that you begin to see them as someone to provide for you spiritual care and compassion and concern. So what does it look like for you as a church member to receive a shepherding care of an elder? If you're going to be a part of a church that takes shepherding leadership seriously, what does it look like to receive shepherding care as a member? Let me encourage you to think about a few things. When you are contacted by an elder, and hopefully you are, you should be, when you are contacted by an elder, whether that's a phone call or whether that's a moment in church, the elder is reaching out to you for a very particular purpose. And it's easy to talk about the weather, and it's easy to talk about your favorite sports team. And it's easy to talk about this or that. What's a little bit more challenging is to reflect honestly about the spiritual needs that you and your family have. Maybe your particular prayer concerns for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren, the spiritual needs that you and your family have so that you can grow more sincerely in your walk with Jesus. That's why your elders reaching out to you. They care about your sports team, they care about the weather, but they're not coming to talk to you about those things. You can talk to anybody about that stuff. Elders who are caring in a shepherding ministry are reaching out for a particular purpose so that as you receive that, you begin to develop an understanding that this person is looking to extend grace and compassion to me so that you begin to be motivated maybe that if you have a need that arises, you might say, I'm going to call my elder because I know they care about me and I know they'll pray for me. You say, I have a need. Rather than keeping it to yourself, yes, you can always call the church generally, but you have a particular elder to be able to reach out to so that they can care for you. And dear members, we need to learn to embrace shepherding leadership as the care and compassion of Jesus to our families. That's why they're doing what they do. Because it's for your good. It's for your care. It's for your spiritual nourishment. Otherwise, we would be members of just any club or organization with no intent to grow and develop in our spiritual maturity and Christian discipleship. But because we are part of the church of Jesus Christ, with Christ as our good shepherd, the under-shepherds are seeking to ask the question, what does it look like for you to continue to walk and how can we come alongside you to encourage you to do that? Receive it for your good. But here's another point of sticking point. Perhaps receive it for your correction if necessary. Receive it for your correction if necessary. You will oftentimes find out just how much someone thinks about following Jesus when they are at the point of correction. Where they say, I want to go this way. And it's clear from the Scriptures that Jesus is calling you to go this way. If somebody comes alongside you and says, Jesus is calling you this way, and you say, well, the heck with you. You're essentially saying, I don't want Jesus to be my good shepherd. I don't want Jesus to shepherd myself and my family. But when we receive shepherding care from elders, what we allow are these deposits of spiritual care to build a bank of goodwill to our leaders so that if we understand they're doing what Paul tells them to do, if in fact we come against a time when your session makes a decision that you disagree with, That bank of goodwill that's been developed through spiritual care makes you come to the conclusion that even if I individually disagree with their decision, I can't deny that what they had in mind was my best interest. And that's an effective reality. Such to say that healthy churches with healthy leadership honor the Lord in a healthy way. But unhealthy churches with unhealthy leadership are too distracted to honor the Lord in any significant way because everybody's going out the business of building their own little kingdoms and winning people to their own opinions. Paul tells the elders, if you want to continue a faithful gospel ministry, it looks like this. To shepherd in the image of Jesus and members and all Christians really should hear that word and say, This is what it looks like for me and my family to be a part of a healthy church that receives shepherding care so that the glory of God is maintained and the kingdom of God is advanced in my community. Because, dear friends, this church and its mission and ministry and membership ultimately is all about Jesus. And it's about His kingdom. And this is the way He wants it to be led. And if we are to grow in that image, we need to delight in the way that Jesus wants His church to be led. Quite frankly... I do not care what passing trend or fashion or theory or understanding of business practices comes around because you know what? It's going to come around again in another five to ten years. We don't care. What we care about is what the Good Shepherd has said that the flock needs to be cared for. And by God's grace, let us seek to do it and seek to receive it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are gracious to gather your flock, to give them over to the care of the good shepherd, and then to mediate his shepherding care in the individual lives of local leaders. Lord, we know that they're fallible. We know that they're imperfect. And yet you've invested them with authority. So, Lord, we pray that we would be a church that honors the authority that you have established because it is ultimately Jesus' own authority. And may it be the blessing of God, Lord, upon our members. Would you bless our church, Father? Would you strengthen us in the image of Jesus? Would you cause us to be a more faithful representation of your kingdom? And may it be to the glory of your name and the good of many souls who both now claim your name and who yet, we pray, one day will as well. We ask all of this in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington. EPC.org. May God bless and keep you.